Welcome to the Technory Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Today's show is brought to you by Active Campaign. Go beyond email marketing with true automation by going to activecampaign.com slash technory. Get your first two months for free on me. Today's guest, Bryce Conlon. He is the, he's an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur. Entre, he is the entrepreneur. And you'll understand the difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur when you're done with this podcast. But he is the founder of Narrative Advantage, and ultimately a cool guy. This is going to be part one of two parts of a podcast. This one is my version. The other one is his version. You got to listen to the show to know more about it. All I can tell you is we're going to rail on why I think people setting retirement dates is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. But beyond that, we talk about narrative advantage in the business, but really this show is a tell-all on two entrepreneurs trying to decipher what is an entrepreneur and what isn't. And recognizing in each other that we are both unemployable human beings and that we would never hire anyone who's not like us. And that's not about ego and it's not about confidence and not about anything. It's just a cold, hard fact of realizing who you are and understanding who you work with and who you want to work with. And I think it's one of those weird things where it maybe takes 10 years to build a business as much because you have to find the market as it does to find yourself. And this is a, a podcast that we spent a lot of time, literally a real lot of time, like 40 minutes, a lot of time talking about how we got here and what we learned about it. And so for that reason, I think this might be one of the most valuable podcasts I've ever done. It was not intended this way. We were just going to talk about narrative advantage, which we did, but really we ended up just kind of nerding out a little bit about what it's like to be a real, a real fighter a person who's out there grinding it every day, trying to make it work and, and just sort of the difference. And it's no disrespect to those who are small business owners or CEOs or there, there's, it's no, there is no disrespect. It's if, in fact, I would do that if I could. If I could run a franchise, I'd do it. If I could get a job as an executive somewhere and not get fired in four minutes, I'd do it. I'm just not built that way. And neither is he. And, and there's hundreds, if not thousands of you out there that are just like that. You're sitting there in your job going, this sucks, and I don't understand why this is what I do. And to be honest with you, I don't either. They should have fired you. They sure as shit would have fired me. So anyway, this is my conversation with the founder of Narrative Advantage and a, an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, you'll understand later, Bryce Conlon. So, I mean, obviously, we just started off talking about COVID, and I, I've, I've tried to avoid COVID as a, as a topic point in all the shows, with the exception of the shows with people who it has mattered to. And like for, for me, obviously it matters to everybody and you have to do the, like the, the uh, you know, yes, of course I feel bad for everybody in this whole thing. But at the end of the day, business is what the show's about. And, and we've talked to a lot of companies who have had exponential growth as a result of COVID. And we've talked to some who've had exponential loss and we've talked to some who've had exponential loss followed by exponential growth. And I think that when I talk to those guys, the, the growth element you know, and this might be the case for you, Bryce, like the, the couple of companies I talked to were like, we were just trying to figure out how we're going to get by. Like we literally just wanted to understand like, what can we keep doing? And some people like, we had ideas about some of the things we pivoted into before, but they were like three years down the road and now it's right in front of us. And they're making more money at that and have come to, to feel comfortable assuming that those expenses and those opportunities are not going to go away. And that their, their core product five months ago is now secondary and will always be secondary. And so I'm just curious from your standpoint, um, obviously we're going to get into 
uh, your business and narrative advantage and what it does, but there's been pivots and there's been things that you've had to adjust to and it's a new world. What does it look, what does your world look like other than a beautiful studio setup? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really jealous uh, as you'll tell in the, in this show. Well, I, I, we'll get you, we'll get you there, Scott. There's no, there's no worries. Um, no, my, I mean, honestly, like you said, COVID has affected everybody in, in various levels. And um, there's a, kind of the social personal level where it's like, oh, this sucks. I can't see my friends or my, my parents who are on the other side of the country. And uh, all my, you know, act, extracurricular activities were canceled. And, and we've all experienced that. And then it, it definitely has played a role in many, many businesses. Um, our, our business, candidly, was decimated by COVID. It, it just evaporated literally overnight. Um, and prior to what we're doing now with the Narrative Advantage, I ran a, a bespoke video production company. And so our corporate clients would call us up and we'd go in and we'd help them figure out how do we tell the story to solve the problem, to move the needle on whatever challenges and, and pain points you're experiencing. And we'd capture that and weave these stories and put them out into the ether uh, whether internal or external communications. And it was great. And it was, it was really wonderful. Well, the, the sectors that we tended to service were sports and entertainment, luxury travel, hospitality, and a ba basically anything but healthcare, right? Yeah. Basically everything but healthcare. And so overnight, <laughs> we, as we watched this thing kind of happen, sports shuts down. Yeah. And I'm getting, you know, I'm on the phone with my uh, clients in sports and entertainment going, what's this look like? And they're like, we're losing revenue hand over fist, yeah. right? Okay, that's not good. And then travel shuts down. Okay, hotels, like, how's that going? And they're like, we're laying off everybody. Not good. Like, this is this is not good, right? So our business really, <clears throat> to say it took a hit would be an understatement. It It literally evaporated overnight. That is not a, unfortunately, not a unique story for a lot of people. I think I guess this is going to sound, I don't know, harsh to some people, but this is like that thinning of the herd moment where honestly, I'm super proud of the entrepreneurs that I work with because they were like opportunity, chaos is opportunity. And like, whether or not their business revenue shut down, they were like, I really don't even give a shit. I have an idea and a set of skills. And like, if that company's dead, then so be it. And here's the other one. And it just, it blows my mind when you see people like yourself and others that I talk to who are like, you know, there was an opportunity and we decided uh, to lean into it. And if it meant the the previous business was going to cease to exist, then so be it. And it's, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a really, I think that's the difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur, yeah. right? A business owner, like a small business owner, they build a thing. It's their baby. That's language that you hear. Um, they, they play it really tight to the vest and it's always like they're central to every business decision, it's yeah. theirs. And you feel that when you work yeah. with them or work for them. The entrepreneur- It's like a little detached. Said, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, okay, this, this business is a vehicle for doing something. It's for, for solving a problem in the world, making the world a better place, um, bringing value to my target buyer, whatever. And ultimately it's just a vehicle. And so if this vehicle needs to go away, that's okay. We'll find a new vehicle. And it's more like buying a car. There's an investment to be sure, but it's not a forever thing. We know that at some point it will end by, either by exit or my failure. And that's just part of the, that's just part of how it goes. I, I think it's, it's funny you said it that way. Cause so Sam, who will be listening to this podcast, undoubtedly, he and I have conversations all the time about this. And I think he thinks I'm nuts 
then I'll be like, oh, you know, this thing can end. Like technology could end any minute and it's, it's un- it'll be unfortunate, of course. But I'm not going down with this ship. And I have the skills, the ideas, the things, they all, they're in here. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing on my shirt. Like I can change this and switch to something else. And well, this one says Tulane, but whatever. I work for Tulane now. Um, <laughs> shout out for Tulane. Uh, so I like New Orleans. Anyway, um, speaking of hospitality and, and COVID stricken, but at any, at yeah. any point, um, he has like more of a personal relationship with the brand. He works for it and it's been something he's fought for for a long time. And I think he's always been really reluctant and stressed out of the notion of like things not working in this benefit. And I've, I've tried to make a point of it. And I really do to your point, I think this is why the entrepreneur versus entrepreneur or even um, startup, or I'm sorry, not startup, small business, is that when we are sitting in this chair, I look at this as like there, it would be a bad business decision, a bad for me, for the company, for everything, if you were like, oh, we're gonna just put the revenue from this thing into here to keep this going because we want this. When it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Like if, it, if it's time to go, it's time to go. And I, I think there's a, there's a, you know, I met you uh, through uh, Z, the was it Z Recruit, right? Yeah, through, uh, yeah, Ben Weiss ben over Weiss. at Z Recruit. Yeah, so I think, yep. uh, so Z Recruit, Ben Weiss, I met you and a bunch of other cool founders from that. And there were like a bunch of young founders that I, I felt had a different attitude than it's sort of like the new fresh blood. Like we were around in 2010, 11, 12, 13, Spot Hero, you know, Jelly Vision, all these companies, which are awesome. Um, some struggling, some not. G2 is another one in there. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's a different, um, the younger entrepreneur is a little different. There's a little bit of a solopreneur. There's a little bit of a like, uh, and I think it's, this is interesting for this conversation about investing. It has created a challenge for us to raise money in the beginning, but then we have access to more money than anybody at the end. Because I, I just got off the call recently with an investor on this and it's like, well, how much committed are you? And, you know, this is my money. And I was like, to be honest with you, I'm just gonna be square. I'm interested in this and I'm as connected to this and I'll die for this as much as anybody, but I'm not a fool. And my marriage is with my money and your money. Like at the end of the day, I need to make sure that you get your money back. And if you get your money back, you won't care one way or the other, as long as you make a a profit or don't lose. And that attitude is, was taken on, I think very poorly by the investors who are used to the I'll die on the sword for you bullshit lines which also, by the way, were not real. That was just like what people were taught to say. And, totally. And, and now it's like, dude, we're going to do this. We're going to give it our best. And if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to blow through your money to, to make it work when it's not. I'm going to pull back and be like, all right, this isn't working. So what do we want to do to like get out of it? And that kind of relationship yeah. has made it, I think it's easier for us to, to go to those investors again and again and again and not go through the bullshit pitch. And just like, this is an opportunity. Do you, do you want, here's the metrics. Do you want in or you don't want in? Okay, you don't, okay, bye-bye. You go to the next one. Yeah, I mean, I I think where you're coming from on this makes a good deal of sense to me and anybody else who has started anything, right? So if you are going to, if you're going to build, well, first, I think we need to step back and almost redefine entrepreneur. Because yes. everybody's Please a freaking do. Op- entrepreneur. Please, do. Days, Please right? tell me how the entrepreneur on LinkedIn who is a master of everything and has no fucking job is the entrepreneur. Like it's the Gary, basically at this point, I feel like if you follow Gary V and I do, and I don't know, maybe you do, 
But like, I do too, yeah. I follow him, but I feel like I should go through the list. If you follow Gary Vee or Tony Robbins, you're probably not really an entrepreneur. I follow him because I got to copy. The, the guy's got good shit. I got to copy him. <laughs> I, I know. I, well, he does. He brings a lot of wisdom. So does Tony Robbins. So does any of the other thought yeah. leaders out there, right? Like they are thought leaders. Simon Sinek and all that. Yeah. But the issue, you know, the issue with what I see today, you know, kind of with my peers, when I look out at the, this, this budding crop of yeah. entrepreneurs, um, most of them aren't. It's a title that we've given to ourselves to be cool, I guess. And the, the reality is, is that entrepreneurship, as I see it and define it, is building something from nothing with others in the service of others. And that's it. So I'm sorry, if you get into your MLM business, it's not real entrepreneurship. I'm yeah. sure I'm going to piss some people off, but it's not. Don't worry. They've all been it's pissed off on the show before, if you can't tell my tone. I shit on entrepreneurs all day long because they're not really entrepreneurs. <laughs> Well, no, they're not. Same thing. You know, like you buy a franchise. I think that's great. You're now a small business owner. Congratulations. And by the way, that is a very noble path to potential success. If I could make money that way and not blow my brains out, I would. I'm not, I mean, like, (laughs) listen. Me too. Like I, so I just moved into this house. I just had the first, and these guys are probably going to listen to this show because it's like the day after I just met them all. So uh, we'll see if I get invited to the next party. Uh, they're all PE firm guys. They all make a shit ton of money. They all are employed. BMO and all these other companies that, that we take sponsor money from. Like they're all great guys and they make a million and change and, and all that kind of stuff uh, with those jobs. If I could fit in there and make money like that and not oh. get, piss people off and not want to shoot myself, I would do it. But I can't. I, every yeah. time I've ever had to get a job, it, I know what I say to the guy, I'm here for the long haul. I really mean the long haul. I'm here until December when I come up with another idea and then I'm fucking gone. Like, <laughs> I just know that. I can't, I'm not going to fit in. I know I'm not. Dude, I, I, I relate to that so hardcore. I, I remember sitting down. It was uh, somebody made an introduction to a guy named Mark. And I met him, I don't know, six, seven years ago now. And he's every day. He, he really, truly is a, a mentor to me. We connect almost weekly. He's really helped to grow my mindset and my thinking and even defining what am I trying to do with this life? He's, he's been influential. First time I met him, we sit down over lunch and we're just chatting. And I was at that point working uh, in corporate America. And when people ask me, how do you like your job? I, I told them I loved it. And there were, and, and there were, and there were elements of this that were true. Yeah, I course. loved the people that I worked with. I loved the industry that I worked in. I, I truly genuinely did. But all the politicking, the, you know, gathering around the water cooler, the, um, you know, pissing off the wrong people by just raising my hand and going, hey, I know it's your idea, but that's still a bad idea. Are we okay if we revisit this? Um, I was bad at that. I was really, really bad at that. And it made me miserable. And so I meet Mark and we're sitting down over lunch and he's asking me questions that no one had ever asked me before. And he kind of sits back after taking in three or four answers and goes, okay, I see the problem. So, well, what problem? Cause I, I you know, again, I'm telling everyone I love my job yeah. and he goes, well, you're unemployable. I'm yes. like, what? Yes. And, I was like, and I was so offended by it. I was like, I'm what? Like, that's the worst thing that you can say to somebody who's working their ass off to try to fit into a corporate culture. And here I am a decade, you know, later and I realized, my God, I am completely unemployable. I will never have a job where 
people go, man, you're, you're a great guy. I want you on my team. And that sentiment will last for a, a total of four weeks. Yep. And then at the four week mark, you're going to be like, wow, I don't want to be anywhere near you. And it's not because you're not intelligent or creative. It's that you're too intelligent. You're yeah. too creative. You're too outspoken. You're too opinionated. And I go home and hang out with my family and I'm quiet and you don't. You go home and hang out with your family maybe, but then you go back to work in the middle of the night and you're keeping a different pace and it fucks everybody yeah, up. It does. And you know, it, a, a buddy of mine, Scott Alford, he's a, he's a super brilliant entrepreneur. Uh, he's out up in Canada now or California. I don't know. He's kind of doing the, the digital nomad thing. He says the problem with entrepreneurs is that they outpace everybody in their life. Uh, and that's an understatement. I thought it was unmarried. Completely true. Like truer words have never, ever, ever been spoken. I literally thought I was until I met Jen, my wife, I was unmarriable. I still might be unmarriable because I'm like, and I I swear to God, I, I just said this last night to these guys who I just met. I was like, I'm only partially present. Like I'm present for children, I'm present for wife. I'm pre- in those moments. But like after 10 or 12 minutes, I can't really promise much. Like I just, you know, I left this thing at 1035 at night, right? At 1040, I go, I got to go take a call. And they looked at me like I was out of my fucking mind. And they thought I was lying and trying to get out. And I was like, no, 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 really, my phone is ringing. This guy's been blowing me up. It's an investor. And he's like, oh, I was like, well, if I had the money and I'm the investor, I tell this guy to fuck off, but it's, I need his money. So I got to take this call. So I'm, I'm leaving and I'm like, I had a couple drinks. I'm like, but my life is intertwined and other yeah. people have a, this life and that life and mine is one life and it's just this crazy thing. And it's funny, you bring up the unhirable. I completely, I'm unemployable. I know it. Um, and I'm, I'm ga- engaging that you're probably, you've seen Goodwill Hunting. You seem like a guy who would have watched Goodwill Hunting. Many this, times. Th- yeah, film. same here. So the scene when Robin Williams says to him, you know, he set down the belt and he set down the wrench and his hand, which did you pick? And he said, I picked the wrench because fuck him. That is how I go about my life. That is how I picked my jobs that I ever had to get. I never took the job where I was like, oh, you'll just sit back. I always took the job where I, I fucking hated it and everyone around it, but I was going to learn the most. It was going to be the most painful thing, but I was going to end up learning something that I had absolutely no idea about. And now fast forward more than a decade, when I get into meetings and people are like, oh, I work in this and this and this and this, I'm like, oh, dude, I ran $6 million worth of properties across the country here. I know that problem. I went here, I did this, I did this. And they're like, you like a, a, a skipper? You like go to like different job hop, whatever. I was like, no, I, I go somewhere. I learn something. I start a company. I build it to solve it and I sell it. And then I do something else. I get another job. I learn another thing. I leave. I start a company. I build a problem that's uh, solved the problem and I fucking sell it again. And I'm like a refounder. That's what I call myself. I'm not really an mm. entrepreneur. I'm not a founder. I have founded companies, but almost all the companies from Technori to Songfinch and all these other deals I'm in on, I saw an opportunity. I saw that I had a certain resource or network or skill set or whatever. Now we're talking about taken, but whatever, you get the gist. And I just took over the company and said, hey, I want you founders in it. I'm going to give it a little different spin, little direction, and we're going to go another way. I'm a refounder. And that's, that's, really that's my spot, I think. Maybe for now. That's a really interesting, you know, somebody gave me a, a, a mental model. I'm a big fan of mental models, right? Because this is a great way that you can take really huge amounts of complex information and quickly go like, oh, I, I get it. You could teach it to a third grader, right? Yep. Um, and in any business, there's three phases. The first, you've got your originators, then you've got your organizers, and you've got your operators. 
And it's very, very rare that you find any one person who fits well in all three buckets. Yep. Entrepreneurs tend to fall into the originator, organizer kind of buckets, but they suck when it comes to the operation. Yep. And so in every business I've ever started, I've always told my team, look, here I am, I'm bringing the idea, I'm bringing the kind of the impetus to start this, I'm catalyzing it, got the team together, bringing the, that entrepreneurial energy that's what I will bring. But there will come a day when you no longer need an originator and you need an organizer operator. Yep. And when that day comes, I'm the last person who's going to know. Yeah. And so I need you to tell me when to get the fuck out of yep. the way. Because, I mean, entrepreneurs, <clears throat> they're great. They're endless tinkerers, though. Yeah. They never stop playing with stuff. They never stop trying to break the mold and reform it. And that's not helpful when you're trying to build a, you know, sustainable business where you can bring people in and train them and here are our status quo and, and establish, right? And so you just have to kind of know where you fit. So I tend to be with you in that originator stage. I'm not an organized person. Um, you can't see the desk surface uh, right now, but there is just stuff everywhere. Like no one has ever accused me of being organized uh, and that's true of my personal life as it is in my business life. So the reality is, is that I need to surround myself because I know who I am. I need to surround myself with arrangers and organizers and people who can bring structure to the chaos that I show up with. And when I find those people, it creates this really wonderful building relationships. But you just got to know it's funny, you. It's, it's funny you say this this way because you, you're the originator and the kind of cultivator and not the organizer. And I'm the cultivator and the organizer, not the originator. So like my desk, literally, I'm going to tip this down just so the world can see. Nothing. Wow. Will you come organize my office? Like Happily. You won't. I don't have anything. I have nine shirts. Jen has every closet in this house. I have nine shirts, two shoes. Everything is made by the same thing. Same custom shirt, three pairs of jeans, color hue, three shoes, done. I keep everything very compartmentalized. And I'm the person who, it took me 10 years to get here. And more than that, really. It took me like 15 years to figure it out. But what I figured out was my best skill set, which I don't, if I put this on LinkedIn, I would be confirmed as unemployable. Um, it is, I can sum up an idea or a concept, a business model into seven words. And I know exactly what dots connect to make it work. I know where the capital should come from and who would benefit from it. I know what the first 12 moves are. And I know exactly how I'm going to do it. And then I go out and I get the money in and I set it all up. And then after that, I don't give a shit. And I'm, I'm really, in my mind, it's already like my mission has been accomplished. And then like, so when I talk to investors, it's been, it was really hard early on. And now to me, it's easy as shit. Cause I'm like, okay, how do you, like, how do you make money? Like, obviously other than investing, like what, what is your mechanism? And if I understand that it's cost of acquisition plus cost of service, what's the margin? What's the percentage of revenue that is profit? And that's really it. Like how, what is cash flow? That's really all I care then I, could, I don't care if you're selling apps or dog biscuits. Like if I see a brand that can be pushed to a channel of people who I think would want it and I know how to convey the message and I know how much money it's going to cost to get a meaningful amount, this is over. Like I can just go get investors and be like, listen, we're going to do $6 million in revenue this year. We're going to do $24 million next year only because for every $2 you spend, we get 25 back. Like that's what I know. And yeah, I think a lot of the founders that I've met 
that's where they struggle. They're great at the idea. They're great at putting all the, the mousetrap in place and they tinker, 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 tinker. <clears throat> they're not good at extracting what was valuable from it and who actually gave a shit. No, you're absolutely right. And I actually just left a, uh, a startup. I was invited. I was invited to participate. It was not my idea. I was, I was brought in for, cause I've, I've started stuff and I've failed at stuff yep. and I've done the good and I've done the bad and I've seen it all. Right. Um, and so I was brought in to this, this organization and within the first couple of weeks, I could tell it, it's, it wasn't going to go. Yeah. It wasn't going to go for a number of reasons, chief of which everybody who was sitting around the table was a visionary. Nobody had the ability to talk nuts and bolts. Nobody had the, uh, the skill set or the strength set to go to market. The whole thing is a bunch of people sitting around sharing great ideas. And that's wonderful. I guess, if you want to do nothing fast. And that's not me. I want to build. I want to build as quickly as possible. I want to provide value to a buying audience and make the world a little bit better for the people that I serve. That's what I want to do. Well, so it sounds I like you're, made the decision to leave. you're in a good spot because now you're starting another, another company and, and you've got narrative advantage, which in case I forget the name of it, it's on your shirt. So that makes it very easy. I wish everyone would do that. Um, and that not design. not where Tulane, design. where I'm like, wait, who do you, you were, I'm an assistant <laughs> professor at Tulane. Um, what, what are you building now? What was it pre COVID? What is it today? And how, how does the story, how does the narrative pun intended, uh, kind of not necessarily end, but come to like, what's the objective? Yeah. Well, so every good narrative, I, I, I'm a big story fanatic, right? I've read all the books that you're supposed to read if you like story, right? The Hero with a Thousand Faces. I follow Dan Harmon. I follow a lot of folks who tell great stories. And every great story has these, you know, kind of soaring highs and then soul-crushing lows, right? And, and ours is no different. Uh, as I mentioned, pre-COVID, we were in video production. It was bespoke video production. Um, when it all kind of happened, we just hit pause and said, all right, we're going to just wait this out. Well, beginning of summer, we started to realize this isn't a waiting game, or yeah. if we are going to wait, we're going to be waiting <clears throat> a, a really long time. Um, You're going to be waiting online. <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't really feel comfortable, candidly, going back to production work, right? Where talent, no matter how well you protect them, they're not wearing a mask when they're on uh, on screen. And most of our work, we're dealing with 60 and 70 year old executives. Uh, so it just didn't feel right. And part of me also, I've been doing this for 15 years. Part of me was starting to itch for something else. And so kind of took a step back and said, well, got curious really and said, how can we bring this, you know, this thing that we do, which isn't really video at all. It's really telling stories. It's creating moments of influence of human connection via screen. So how can we, how can we bring value outside of the video space? And we started kind of playing around with a few different ideas and, oh, well, you know, we'll help job seekers. And we did, and we helped hundreds of job seekers, like tell their personal story to land interviews and get, you know, get jobs. And that was really cool. But there was no money in that. It wasn't sustainable. And so we put together like a course and it's free and it's still on, you know, you can find it on LinkedIn and through our website and whatever. And I'm like, all right, well, that's not really who we're best equipped to serve. Who can we serve? And we then looked at CEOs and we looked, we looked at a whole bunch of things. And interestingly, interestingly enough, this kind of segment that we weren't pursuing came out of the woodwork and found us. And all these vice presidents of sales started showing up saying, look, we, we can't golf anymore. 
uh, we can't rely on happy hours or lunches or dinners. Um, and the inboxes are getting crammed. Like everyone's selling through the inbox. We're not getting noticed. What do we do? How do we grow our influence? And it was like, oh, well, yeah, obviously sales teams need this right now. And so that's really what we've been doing. We're creating um, customized and out-of-the-box sales trainings for sales teams so they can leverage the power of their uniqueness as individual reps, as companies to tell their story, to grow influence with their potential buyers. And that's what we're doing. How do you get businesses and corporations to invest that kind of money and resources into salespeople? Because it's been my experience working in the service side of industry where if I said, hey, I want to create a series of videos for the CEO, they're like, yeah, of course, because they'd love to be on camera. They, they can't wait to the talk ego about stroking. themselves. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, actually, I don't give a fuck about you. Uh, you want to sell your business. These are your sales team. They're the guys that me, people need to know. Well, you know, we can do short little things. Like, no, well, if you're going to do that, then let's just not. And I'm just curious how you get that. How did you get into these guys and be like, this is, I mean, other than the obvious that COVID is like, throw anything at the wall. But like, how do you really convey that value <laughs> prop? Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is this, right? We've, we kind of reverse engineered the, our process based on the big problems in the industry. So burnout's a huge problem. If you run a sales team, your team's probably burning out. Lots of, lots of rejections, dial in for dollars. It sucks. It's hard work. And so burnout's a real thing. That leads to turnover. Turnover is really ridiculously high. And the truth is Forbes, Forbes came out with a study. And they said 55% of sales reps lack basic sales skills. <laughs> Think I about that, that for a bit. I, I believe that entirely because I, I get calls from people all the time and I literally laugh and I hang up. I don't know what the fuck to say to I, them. Well, I try to keep them on the, the line as long as possible just to waste their time because time is or, money. Or try I to sell them some narrative advantage. You know what you need. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I know because the people who are calling, the people who are cold calling who, who don't know how to sell and position themselves, they're not the person who's going to buy. Ultimately, well, it's, yeah, it's the leaders of these teams, just yeah. the VPs, right? And so really, we just kind of looked at it and said, all right, well, if we can help to train your people so that they can meet with success, then what are the chances that they're going to leave versus stay? And we found that they will stay longer. We can improve that tenure. Well, that makes your job as a vice president of sales easier because you don't have to hire as many people. Your training goes a lot, uh, goes a lot farther. You get more bang for your buck over you know, the long haul. Um, you kind of look at this, this burnout thing, right? The burnout factor happens because we've created sales trainings, not we, but yeah. the industry has created sales trainings that force tactics and strategies and shoehorn every person into them when that's just a gigantic fucking mistake. Yeah. The, the right approach, a better approach is to look at the individual and go, well, let's talk about you. Just like, just like I'm an originator and I know that if you put me in an operation role, I'm going to die and you're the organizer where you can see the next 12 steps. If we put you in an operation role, you're going to die. You're going to burn out. You're going to struggle and you're going to fail. Yep. Well, we take all these sales reps and we sho shoehorn them into a training. And then we wonder why they're not succeeding. We wonder why the turnover is high. We wonder why they're burning out. And so it's like kind of obvious when you say it out loud, but it's like, hey, if we can just help people figure out how they can sell personally, like using their strengths and personality and life experience to create connection with another human being, well, then sales becomes natural, easy. You improve tenure, you reduce burnout. And by the way, objections just kind of disappear because now 
you've got real people showing up building real rapport. It's not me trying to sell you anything. Yeah. I'm just trying to be here as a human. So it actually hasn't been that hard. Uh, and a big part of it is folks were showing up asking for this. So we also didn't have to hard sell anybody. We just said, yeah, can if we did this, this, and this, would it be helpful? And the answer was, yeah, let's do it. I feel like that is going to not go away. Obviously, the, the concept doesn't go away. That's clear. But like, I, I think that even travel and meetings and like whatever, like honestly, if I could see who these people are before I meet with them, I would determine whether I want to. And the ones who did yeah. really well and was like, this is who I am and what I believe in and what I do. And they were like constantly pushing stuff out. Those are the guys I'd line up with first. So like, it doesn't, whether we go back to regular, regular life, I don't even think really matters. No, I mean, cause this, we, we live in a digital world, right? Yeah. Like that's the reality. Which I'm super happy so, about, by the way, that this COVID thing <laughs> moved everyone onto the right page. This fighting this thing for, I don't, I never understood it. It makes yeah, no economical either. sense. Like it's just stupid, but it is reality. And it's funny, you, you brought this up uh, two seconds ago when you were talking about the, the talking to the above, you know, the bosses who are pushing these sales guys. I had a conversation with a bunch of guys maybe a couple of weeks ago and all of them are executives and they're like, you know, starting to see the plateau, you know, all these people working at home, they were doing really well because they, they thought they might be on the short list, you know, and then now they're like this and now they're taking longer bike rides and then the productivity is going down. And they were just blaming all these people like, you know, pe this doesn't work. People are who they are. They're who they said they were. And, you know, when they're at home, they're going to do whatever. And I was like, I'm going to say this and you're all going to get really pissed at me because you're used to people telling you you're right. You're fucking wrong. You are at fault. You hired poorly. Bottom line. If you hired people who feel like they have to grind it out because you're staring at them, you're getting shit anyway. They're not even working. You just think they're working because you're stupid. They're just doing whatever they normally did. The only thing they're not doing is the little extras that you ask them to do because they're not listening. If you hired people who are good at their job and loved their job and were only in the right job for them and you took the time to learn who they were and were like, yeah. I don't care about the interview about this job. If you're smart, you can learn it. Not worried. Do you love it? If you love it, then I'm not concerned and you're good at it. You're going to be efficient. I'm not concerned with how you spend your day. You hired right. What? That's a big, you know, you're tapping into what you know, I think if more, more executives and entrepreneurs and business builders just understood, it would solve so many problems, right? We know the numbers of what 80% of employees are disengaged and disenfranchised with yeah. their work, which leads to, I think I read recently, $500 billion in lost productivity, lost revenue over the course of a year. You know, just, that's just in the United States. Like these are big numbers and it, I, so much of it stems from the leadership. Yeah. So much of it stems from that. And it's like, man, if you're not, I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to say this and it's not going to make a lot of sense to a lot of people. It doesn't matter what business you're in. You're in the people business. Yeah. It doesn't matter what widget you sell or what product you put out there or what service you're in. You're in the people business and your first customer, Richard Branson has this right, is your employees. Yeah. You serve the shit out of them. You train them so well that they could succeed anywhere and they'll hang out with you for longer. They'll give you better work. They'll come up with ideas. They'll start to think and act like an entrepreneur. You said you're taking phone calls at 10 o'clock at night. Yep. I was up last night writing down ideas at three o'clock in the morning, right? Just because they were rolling around in my brain. Employees don't do that. Yeah. Entrepreneurs do that. And if you want more output, and by the way, more satisfied employees 
people who love what they do, who really love showing up, you need to find people who are like desperately passionate about solving the problem that you're about solving yeah. and hire them regardless of the resume. Stop taking resumes. Stop yeah. it. Like it's such a stupid way to hire. Sit down with people, stretch out the interview, take on a few trial projects, see how you work together for 90 days. Then you can start to really know who they are. Makes so much more sense than like looking at a piece of paper and going, oh, you went to Vanderbilt? Yeah, I went to Vanderbilt. You're hired. That's stupid. And we do it all the time. I, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's funny. The, for all the people listening who are unhirable, please, <laughs> please reach out and I'll hire you because the, to me, the hireable person is a person who hides when it's hard. They're a person who doesn't, you know, they're playing a political game. They're playing the game of climb the ladder within the organization, whether that's good for you, them, or the organization. The unhirables are the ones who are like, can you give me more? I'm fucking bored. Like, you're an idiot. I could do your job time. I could do all three of your jobs. And like, that's the guy who says that to me. And I'm like, well, shit, here you go. Like, do it. I, I would prefer, and I think companies would be more successful if they hired people who were like, I'm standing up and raising my hand. I want to do this. I'm not getting enough challenge here. I'm not being compensated either. So I expect to be paid more because I'm driving value. I don't want the guy who goes and hides in the corner is like, well, I did my job. I'm out of here. Like that to me is unhirable. Not someone who falls in line. That's not helpful to me at all. I, dude, I think, I think it was Jim Collins. It might've been in good to great, but he talked about what it was like kind of when Philip Morris was in their heyday back yep. in the, you know, the that was early good, 80s. good to great, by the way. Is it good to great? Yeah. And he describes like the tension and the conflict in the boardroom when they were making decisions about how to grow the business. And he said that there were shouting matches where people were red faced, slamming on the table, yelling at one another. But it wasn't because they were angry at one another. It was because they were fighting for what they believed was best for the company. Yep. And the bottom line is when you hire unhirables, when you hire entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially minded people, that's a really hard word it to is. say. Um, but when you hire people with that mindset, you're going to get conflict. You're going to get pushback. You're not going to get yes men. And so it really comes down to what kind of business do you want to build? Do you want to build a high performance, high functioning business? in which case there's going to be more conflict. You're going to get pushback. You're not going to have the yes men. Or do you want to feel good in your title as CEO or founder or whatever? And not passing judgment one way or the other, it just is a personal decision that you need to make as the founder or originator of an idea and company. I'll pass judgment for you um, because you're too nice <laughs> to do it. Um, I'm going to get people who are like, you don't know what you're talking about. Try running a thousand person plus company, blah, blah, blah. And my answer to you is bullshit because- what I can tell you about what you just said is that the companies that plateau and, and they may not plateau because the market demand is, is there. And that doesn't mean that, I guess here, I'll put it this way. The reason a Ford or GM gets demolished or BMW is another great example, gets demolished by Tesla is that Tesla sets a tone of we don't ever quit. And when we're done with this, Hey, look, we had resources. Let's buy some fucking roof panels. Like, they, they can't even stop themselves. You may still be a multi-billion dollar market cap, but the minute someone decides to come after you, you're fucked because there's absolutely no way that you can rev the engines because you're too complacent. And when you get to Philip Morris, you've got these guys who are fighting in the boardroom. And what happens is the CEOs and the executives who are sitting fat and rich, they just get tired of the, of the struggle, which I totally get. Super stressful. Totally. 
Totally get it. You need to be wired a little weird to want to fight all the time. <laughs> and I get it. So I see these guys, I'm thinking the smart entrepreneur steps aside and goes, I still own the shares. Alexis Ohanan to me is a great example of this with Reddit. He has come back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with Reddit and other entities because he identified the times where he got complacent and was like, I need somebody else. And he still owns the shares. He just gave up his seat and decision because he knew that his decision was useless and he got other people who wanted to fight. And then once he got rested up and came back to, to battle again, then he took his spot back. And he, oh, now I'm ready. And if you, if you do that and you continue to fight, there should always be tension, always be tension in that business. And then the part about the large orgs that get to 10, 20, 50, 100,000 employees, Salesforce comes to mind as a great example of this. Benioff does co-CEO, then it gets bored, fires him, takes it over. Then he's back, co-CEO, he's distracted with foundation stuff. He recognizes his organization as multiple levels. And there are certain levels that drive the other ones. And there's certain types of people that are in our level unhirable because they are not entrepreneurial, but they are incredibly hireable at a different level of the company. So I don't want civil unrest in the factory. I don't want civil unrest among the sales team. I don't want people freaking out everywhere, but in certain parts of my company that drive the most, I want that mm -hmm. all the time. So this whole notion of this, this is like the hiring thing. It's so notion of the CEO being like, oh, it's bullshit. You don't know what you're talking about. You haven't managed a million people. Like, get the fuck out of here. It's common sense. You're lazy at this juncture, which you've earned the right to be, but you're being lazy. You don't want to fight today. So step aside and let someone who wants to fight. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of value right in this. And the bottom line is business is just a people business. That's what I meant before. Yeah. You're in a people business. 100%. That's, that's what it is. You have to manage and personalities. Which means you... I mean, that's, you've just hit the crux of the issue, right? 80% of businesses fail. Well, 100% of businesses yeah. fail if you, if you give them a long enough margin, yeah. right? But 80% of businesses fail um, very, very shortly in a very short window, largely because you've got people coming together, rallying around an idea. Yep. But they're not, they don't know themselves well enough to step into committed relationships. By the way, business is marriage. Yeah, I get, was just going to say, I think my advantage here, I got married later because I literally, I was not a, I, uh, this is a complete waste of everyone's time, but I literally was on <laughs> dates with people throughout my entire twenties and 30. And I remember getting like visibly pissed off after going on a relationship. It was only a couple months. And I was like, she wasn't even like, she didn't even know who she was. Like she was selling someone she wasn't. She didn't even take the time to learn who she was before she tried to sell her ass to me. And like, I, I came into this working. I don't know who I am 100%. That's never going to be solved probably. But like, I came into this with everything I know about me to you. And business mm -hmm. is the same thing. I look at it the same way. If you totally. have not spent that time looking at you and everyone around you and how you drive people and, and like, you know, Sam again tells me to, I should comment on certain things and I tell them all the time, I'm not comfortable because I don't know. I, listen, if somebody was, knew what I knew and commented on it, I would make fun of them. Because I'd be like, that fucker doesn't know what he's talking about. So I don't want to be that guy. I'm not going to talk about <laughs> theoretically stuff that I know enough to be a hobbyist. It's not my business. I'm not that guy. Well, that's the thing. It's so easy, right? There's so much material out there. You want to be an entrepreneur? Go pick up a book. Read a yeah, book. Sure. Congratulations. You're an um, entrepreneur. Those they are entrepreneurs. Well certificates in the those are the entrepreneurs. Yeah, there's air quotes. Yeah. If you're oh, listening yeah. only, there's lots of, there's air quotes going on right now. Um, or is it entrepreneur? Yeah, that's, that's the one. Yeah, the entrepreneur is just like you and I, entrepreneurs. The ones who like oh, fiddle with the, the pronunciation 
The minute you put it in your Maybe. title, you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, again, I, I'll let you pass the judgment, but I do. Is, this is my so, show about there, entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much, there's so much to be said for the folks who just show up and they say, look, I know me. Like I, I've done so much work on me in the years that I know how I piss people off. I know when I step, when I'm stepping on toes, I know how I drain people. I know how I excite people. And that automatically sets me up to be in a better position to attract great people around me. And by the way, that's requirement. Number one, when you join a team that I'm starting is we're going to start looking at your strengths, your personality. We're going to do all the assessments. And by the way, it's not going to stop with a piece of paper. We're going to like sit down and talk about this. Hey, it says here that you are, you have an, an empathetic strength. Explain to me what that means in your terms. Great. Now tell me a story about, you know, how you've been empathetic today. And if you're not, if you're not those things, that's fine because assessments aren't perfect, right? But we need a starting place to understand who you are, who I am, so that we can figure out how to work together. It, this business is just building a puzzle. That's all it is. We're just putting oh, a puzzle totally. together. This is... And if you've got the wrong pieces that don't fit, you're never going to complete the puzzle. It's just... That's simple. And that's fundamentally what we're doing for sales teams now. Let's figure out who are your people, where can they shine, where are they being under leveraged, where are you asking too much of them, where are you trying to jam a square peg into a round hole and stop it. <laughs> and that's it. That's what we're doing. I'm telling you, this might end up being one of the more useful podcasts that we ever did because it's just telling the truth about it. And I, I think a lot of people live in this like, you have to put on airs, whether it's for investors or for customers or clients. And it's like, I, I, honestly, I really believe this. I think that it's taken me longer to be successful because from day one, I was like that guy who showed up in flip-flops and didn't give a fuck and was like, I'm here to work. Like, I'm not here to impress you. Like, there's certain things physically, you dress certain things just because, you know, it's, a, it's really showing respect to who you're in front of. But like ballpark, when we're into like grind, it's like, I'm not, I'm not here to impress you. I really don't care what you think to be totally fair. I'm very content. So, uh, you know, if you spend time on that, you might get ahead further, but I think you have a cap. And I think the guys who can do this all day will grind until their day they're dead. And everyone who ever worked with them will win or lose. They'll say that guy gave me everything they had. Yeah. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to come. I'll have to come back on your show or maybe you can come on mine, but I want to talk Yo, I'm about going on yours next. I, now that I see this setup, want, I'm going to come back with the whole <laughs> shit. <laughs> I want to, I want to, we got to talk at some point about, the myth of retirement and why it's total crap and will completely cap you for your entire career. I, okay, we're going to set this up. We're going to set this up now because we're going to have this show is going to be coming up. We're going to do this like soon. Like you let me know after this. We're going to do this. I'm setting this up in this podcast for the next podcast, which will be coming from yours. I have said this so many times and it, this isn't for everyone. It's also a different generational thing. I think the word and the theory of retirement is the greatest detriment to capitalism and to people and happiness ever with the exception of Instagram. I, I literally think that people's lack of happiness and need to chew on opiates all day long and to have, you know, mistresses and all this other shit is because they set an end time, an yep. unnecessary end time to when their life stops. You set it, you fucking pick the date you died. What are you doing? Why would you do that? I'm going to do this up until here and then I'm fucking gone. Like what? You just signed up for misery. What are you doing? Yep. We're going to do a whole show on, on retirement. Dude, I think I'm it's down. just a, a mess. This is great. I, where do people Let's follow you and your show and your company? 
Yeah. So um, my company is The Narrative Advantage. You can find us on narrativeadvantage.com. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so don't hesitate to reach out. I love uh, connecting with new people and just really digging in and discovering, dude, if you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur yeah. air quotes again. Um, if you're an entrepreneur, bother. call me. But if you're an entrepreneur, call me, right? Yeah. If you're trying to build something from nothing with others in the service of others, we should chat. Um, yeah. So narrativeadvantage.com is where you can find me. And my podcast is The Long and Winding Road. And it's, uh, it's every, it. everywhere you get podcasts. Well, <laughs> you, you will see, uh, hopefully hear and see me on The Long Winding Road um, talking about retirement and how it's killing you. Uh, all of you, you can follow me at Katoon and Technoria, Technoria and all things social. And like you, Bryce, I'm a pretty active dude on LinkedIn and I love to bitch and moan about stuff. So uh, follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn. Just connect. The follow thing baffles me on LinkedIn. What is the purpose of that? Um, I'm not really sure. I but, think it's ego stroking. Uh, well, that's why we all buy the, the clicks. But at any rate, this has been a blast. Uh, thank you so much for joining the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Boom. That's a wrap.